If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Thank you for showing up. It is so good to worship with you, friends. Will you pray with me? Today, the lectionary has us read the story in Matthew that is sometimes labeled the Canaanite woman's faith. We call it the Canaanite woman's faith because it's better than saying that time Jesus called a woman a dog. You see, her daughter needed health care, so she asked for it. In response, Jesus called her nasty to translate it into what she might have been called today. She was a woman who wouldn't let it be, a woman who spoke her truth, a woman who would not stop until her child got the care she needed. And here, Jesus thought that woman was in need of salvation. There are some who would like us to tidy up this story, make Jesus nicer, let him off the hook. But they forget that Jesus did the cleaning up himself, for the woman taught him that salvation works both ways. And if Jesus can do better, surely we can. Isn't this what you've been trying to tell us all along? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Holy One. We pray in the name of Jesus, who practiced what he preached. Amen. For the sermon this week, I teamed up with my friend and colleague and general troublemaker, Reverend David Wheeler, who pastors two of our sister congregations, the Federated Church in Weatherford, Oklahoma, and First Congregational UCC in Norman. Our topic is leaving home for home, a conversation on theological shifts. Hello, David. It's good to see you today. Hey, Lori. It's good to see you, or should I say Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Congratulations on your recent doctoral degree that you earned and added to your collection. Thank you very much. And I know that you are working towards yours as well. All the cool kids are doing it. That's what they say. You're going to get there. Just stay with it. Uh, I need to hear that. Yeah. Thank you very much. 
Well, you know, we had um, talked about this dialogue sermon several months ago, what we should do. And one of the things that I really thought was important about our relationship, David, is the similar journey we've sort of been on uh, to get to the United Church of Christ. Both of us came from more conservative traditions, and it got me thinking about our stories, but also our collective stories about sort of how we all wound up here in the United Church of Christ, which is, well, what some people think is a radical denomination. That's for sure. And I'm, by the way, I'm glad that uh, you and I both ended up leaving home for this home and, and getting to serve alongside each other. It's a, it's a great partnership for many reasons. So, you know, I know there are probably many people listening today that, um, that might be just pretty dissatisfied with the version of Christianity that's, that, you know, that you and I grew up in and that seems to be so prevalent, uh, not only in Oklahoma, but a, a good portion of the United States for that matter. So, so I hope today that we can provide um, some inspiration and maybe even a little bit of a challenge for those just listening in to go one step further than just leaving home, but to do as you and I did and go beyond that deconstruction phase and really wrestle with what becoming grounded in a lifelong learning approach to life and faith and, um, and Christianity um, looks like for honest thinking people. And I guess, what do we call this thing? Some of us call it progressive Christianity. I don't know. I kind of always hesitate at labels like that because in many ways, I consider it a more historic expression of, uh, of Christianity. But anyway. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, these labels and especially words like words change meaning over time. Um, we can see that in the political arena for sure, the partisan arena for sure. Um, so it does, it does bother me a little that there's that qualifier, uh, but sometimes you just go with what you got. But, so I thought we'd start with um, a little, talking a little bit about our own journeys. I have heard the UCC described as the last house on the left on the road out of Christianity. And I'm wondering, is that true for you? Uh, will you walk me through what the theological shifts you experienced were to get to where you are now? Well, uh, thanks for asking. I, I, yeah, sure. I grew up in um, seeing a very high level of commitment to the church from my parents, and I dearly loved um, church even as a very uh, young person. In fact, I loved the church so much that I felt called to ministry by the time I was 19, um, when I, like you, I found out, not until we did this project together and worked on this, that I was directing music at a church and somewhere around the same age you were too. So I don't know, maybe we should have worked in a song, you know, to, to this thing, maybe next time. Well, maybe, maybe someday. But um, I, um, I, I became, even when I was directing music, when I was 19 years old, I became more and more involved. And the more involved I became in the life of the church I was serving as a very part-time director of music, the more I felt drawn to vocational ministry. So I took some steps to answer that call and I added a minor in religion to my music major degree plan for my undergraduate work. And that's really kind of when it started for me. Um, even though it was in the same tradition I was raised in, the professors in the religion department were asking questions that had never come up in Sunday school. 
uh, in a fundamentalist tradition. So I began to do some deconstruction and began to ask questions. And instead of them being threatened by the questions, they actually invited more questions and they wouldn't give me the answers I was always looking for. They would just kind of tease me along until they really encouraged uh, me to do some thinking through on my own. So um, eventually I began to serve in that tradition. And uh, the more I studied when I got my first master's degree, which was in religion, I, uh, I was ready to leave um, that tradition. And I joined what I thought was a more inclusive um, a more open expression uh, of the faith when I became, I transferred my credentials to the United Methodist Church where I served well for almost 15 years. And now I would say it was a, a better fit, but, and I, and in some ways I was successful, I guess you could say, if there is that, some kind of measurable success as ministers, I often wonder that um, by the way, but my churches grew, which is what the bishops seemed to want. And they tended to give me, larger congregations through the years and larger paychecks went with that. But my, my theology was also expanding and growing even as I was doing that. And I was continuing uh, kind of a pattern for me of, of, uh, of lifelong learning when it comes, especially to all things social and theological. So um, I, um, I ended up here in Oklahoma City in 2016 at one of the, the larger United Methodist churches in the country, it's at the Church of the Servant. And um, it just wasn't a fit. I, uh, by that point, I, in fact, I had told the bishop before he appointed me, I said, you know, this probably isn't going to end well. Uh, and I told him some of the theological reasons why. Nevertheless, he said, well, there's some people there that are open-minded in that congregation and they need a minister too. And uh, so, uh, so I went and, um, well, it kind of surprised folks. Um, I'm sorry, I came, yeah, I came there in 2016. So, uh, no, I came there in 2014. In 2016, let me get that straight, that's when I basically walked into my bishop's office and said, I don't know what I want to do next, but I know I need a break and I need to, some time for some discernment. And lo and behold, I hadn't been off more than a, a, a few months just went into sales just to pay the bills while I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And uh, my phone rang and it was Edith Guffey, who I had actually talked with for a few years. She's our conference minister for those listening and don't know. Wonderful uh, conference minister for our Kansas, Oklahoma conference of the UCC. And uh, she called and she said, there's this little church out in Weatherford and they just need someone to fill in out there until I can find someone to fill in out there. I said, a fill-in for a fill-in? Uh, I guess. So Sheree and I decided that was okay. Long story short, I'm still serving Weatherford, and, and we've grown a lot, and so, ho so hopefully so have I uh, continued to grow. And then in two January 2018, I added another church um, that I serve so that I'm full-time between the two congregations, First Congregational United Church of Christ and Norman. And I guess you could say I'm twice as lucky as most pastors. Um, I have two wonderful congregations, and I can truly say that I have found a home in the UCC. I can preach my conscience. I can remain on a journey that is very freeing and uh, be a champion of justice and equality for all people. And as far as institutions go, I believe the UCC's values align really more closely with my own than any other group. And, uh, and so it continues to be a blessing. And, uh, and I'm grateful. 
So what about you? Can you walk us through maybe some of your journey, maybe your theological shifts? Tell us, how'd you get where you are today? Yeah, you know, some of our story is very, very similar. Um, I did not, I wasn't necessarily looking for the UCC by the time I knew that um, the, the tradition I was in was not working. Um, I was in a, a strange place that I think a lot of young adults find themselves in where you're experiencing some real cognitive dissonance um, about the things that the church had taught me to believe versus my own experience of God and other people. I was raised very, very Southern Baptist. And the two things that were certain in my family were that my three sisters and I were going to go to church and we were going to college, but mostly we were going to church. Fortunately, the church that raised me did a pretty good job of equipping me to be a minister, even though that tradition does not ordain women to the pastorate and would not invite me to pulpit supply <laughs> today. Um, but they are people who love me and who were very faithful. And those people taught me to love scripture and to study it. They taught me how to be present for people in times of grief. They taught me how to be community. Um, they taught me how to clean up after a potluck. All skills one needs as a minister. There is no job too big or small. But um, as I experienced different environments, particularly when I went to college, and some people have heard some of this story, but basically when I experienced um, a different context, some different experiences, even within the Baptist tradition, um, when I began to form relationships with people who I, who were different from me, who had different backgrounds and different experiences and faith expressions, um, what I was taught to believe um, and what I had an instinct for be honestly, because of the same things and the, the way people had lived um, and been faithful, um, they just didn't make sense uh, anymore. And, and it, especially as I came into contact with people who, um, who believed differently, who had experienced God differently, but were, um, as far as I could tell, some of the most thoughtful, some of the most loving, some of the most faithful people I had ever met. Uh, so I, I just kind of floated there in that very strange space for a while because I didn't really know, like many, many Southern Baptists, everyone else was going to hell, so <laughs> wasn't really sure what to do with my questions. Um, fortunately for me, a uh, young blonde man began stalking me outside of my contracts class. Uh, he turned out to be Colin Walkie, and uh, when we started dating while we were in law school, I was also playing the piano for a small Southern Baptist church um, on the southeast side of Oklahoma City, and in that place, I was, I was both stuck um, and unmoored when it came to faith and church and my role in it like you, David. I loved church. I didn't stop going when I was in college. I loved church. Um, 
And yet again, what I was experiencing in that institution just didn't match up with my other experiences. I knew and I loved and respected people who were both queer and faithful, even though the church had taught me that was impossible. I felt less than because the church had taught me that women had ruined everything and God did not trust us as much. I had a sense that there was something more to salvation than just repeating some magic words. And like many millennials, I grew dissatisfied with that, those traditional answers and I had to find something else. At the time, Colin was a member at Mayflower. And so when we started going to church together there, we went for a while to both places so I could play the piano and then we could go to Mayflower. Um, but it was in that place that I first experienced what we've been referring to as progressive Christianity. And I know that my experience is very similar to the experience of many of our, our, our congregants' experiences where you move from a, a more conservative tradition to a more, um, a more generous theology is how I, <laughs> I think we, we both use that phrase a lot, a more generous theology. And, you know, we see that in the news all the time about uh, all these statistics about how people are disaffiliating with church, that millennials don't go to church, um, that we're non-denominational or were the nuns. Um, and so a lot of those, a lot of those uh, themes carried in my life, I just never could quite stop going to church uh, in the, in, before I found something new. Um, and we've talked a little bit before about this, this whole idea, the age of authenticity, um, that kind of describes this process. And I would say that it's not just about millennials. I don't think it has an age category, but the age of authenticity says that people only associate or are beginning to only associate with institutions, with organizations, with other people with whom they share their values. And that includes church. And that's where we come in. And I think that, that Norman is probably very similar and Weatherford is very similar. Um, you know, we have some hard conversations. We're not all in lockstep about what we believe, but there are some uh, things, the, the bottom line expectation is that we bring our questions to church, that church is a place where head and heart can be equal partners in faith. And that's why I found a home in the UCC. That's, that's why this is my denomination of choice, much like it is for you. Well said. Well said. Thank you, Lori, for sharing that part of your journey with us. And, and of course, within the wider stream of Christianity, the United Church of Christ is what usually labeled a mainline, historic, you know, older Christian denomination. But what we're learning, I think, through experience um, and through doing the work of ministry together as a, as a broader church with a capital C is that there are many segments of mainline groups, um, not limited to these, but I'm thinking about some Lutherans and some Methodists and Presbyterians, Disciples of Christ, Episcopalians, and, and, and some of those older historic mainline groups seem more open to it, though I'm sure there might be some coming from other traditions. And we're bonding across denominational lines. Interestingly enough, 
upon some of these shared values you were talking about a little bit as progressive Christians. Now, it's not a political label. It's a religious one. Um, but there are times, of course, where there is some overlap. Um, yet it seems to be pretty difficult for some people to just answer that question and define it. What is progressive Christianity? But I happen to be doing a dialogue sermon with a pretty spectacular colleague who just happened to have finished her doctoral project along these very lines. And so I don't want to go much further with it other than to say that all of the things you said, I think for me, let me just say equality, justice, peace that comes not from the absence of conflict, but from true justice. And of course, and all things love. I mean, those, there, there's more to it. I'm going to leave it to you to bring it home and maybe share with us some of the things you learned in your intensive studies on this very topic. I know I once had a grandmother email me who was delighted that we had, the church had given her third grade grandchild a Bible, was so delighted with this, so glad that we um, were, you know, sharing our love of the Bible with her grandchild. And then she said, but I looked on your church's website and there wasn't a place that told me what you believe. And I know that you run into this quite a bit, um, but of course the UCC is non-credal. And a lot of times people interpret that to think that we don't believe anything which is of course not true, but unlike many fundamentalist churches, we don't have a what we believe page with references to specific scripture. Although, you know, we might, I know I have some, some thoughts about that, but for us, this, um, we say, you know, a catchphrase of course in the UCC is that Christianity is not a set of creeds, but a way of life. And so when we start talking about what is progressive Christianity, what does it mean to be a progressive Christian? It is not a list of creeds or a list of things that you have to believe or developed doctrine that you must affirm. Uh, for me, I think that one of the most helpful things is to think of it as a framework or a paradigm. And I think that this is so important because there's an assumption that the response to the religious right or the moral majority is for us to come out as the religious left. And that really concerns me because I think we are just as prone to uh, adopting tactics of harassment and name calling and demonizing as anybody on the right. We're just, quite frankly, not any holier. <laughs> and, and so um, as I was working on my doctor of ministry project and um, developing this, I came up with some frameworks, some what I think of as guide rails for progressive Christianity so that we don't go off the rails and quite frankly, become indistinguishable from folks that uh, we gripe about, <laughs> uh, that we complain about, that, that we say aren't acting like Jesus. Uh, 
I don't want to be, I know I want to be, we want to all be above reproach. And so, um, so these, these, uh, ideas that I have, um, and I'm happy to share some resources, but there are four things that I think, uh, define Christianity or help progressive Christians, um, keep hold of the spirit of love as you as you just mentioned and the first thing uses a word that uh when i shared it with you the first time you said kind of triggered you uh which meant definitely i was on the right track but the first progressive theology is the study of god and practice of beliefs which conserve the prophetic tradition of scripture by questioning orthodoxy that conserve word um, makes uh, progressives nervous. But, you know, when we're talking about conserving uh, a prophetic tradition, that means that we don't just uh, line up behind a candidate of a particular party simply because they're a member of that particular party. We are equal opportunity accountability holders. Uh, that's, that's the prophetic tradition. The, the prophets of the Old Testament, they called out their own people more than anybody else. And, uh, you know, for you and me specifically as preachers and pastors, that's our work. The second thing uh, that I think will help guide progressive Christians in our faith journey uh, are that we interpret scripture with intellectual honesty. Uh, and, and you, uh, as a... Um, as a seminary trained, theologically educated in, on multiple levels, <laughs> pastor, um, you know how important that is uh, to give context, to give um, social and historical um, uh, context to the text, uh, to acknowledge that other people wrote this, other pe for people at not that it wasn't written at the time that it purports to be written. We are reading other people's mails. I mean, there are so many things that we have to come to scripture with so that we can interpret it faithfully. The third thing about progressive Christianity, I think that defines us is that we are oriented towards social justice. The UCC is um, particularly upfront about this. We claim to be the church of firsts. Uh, and I think that that is mostly true. Uh, I've, we've said to each other before that we're not, early, we're not radical, we're just early. Uh, and that is in part our very clear commitment to social justice. Um, and that is a, that's never an arrival. We're always working towards that for sure. And then finally, this, this last, this last part, which I think is perhaps most important and perhaps the thing progressive Christians struggle with the most is theological humility. And we are very, very quick. It's very easy for us to be generous when it comes to interfaith partners, for sure. But it is harder for us to practice theological humility when we're in the same room with Christians who are more fundamentalist or more conservative that come down on, um, come to different conclusions. One of the most powerful books that I read very early in my, in my um, 
spiritual journey. And I actually think that this is in part why uh, I was able to, um, to move forward uh, instead of just ending or floating away into space with my spiritual journey is a book called The Meaning of Jesus by Marcus Borg and N.T. Wright. And those two theologians are, yeah, I know, I know. Those two theologians are not the same. They, they do not come to the same theological conclusions, but they wrote that book in conversation with each other. And every chapter takes on a different topic and they go back and forth in their responses uh, to the topic and to each other. And that was the first time I had read or witnessed really Christians disagreeing with each other in love and still working together. And ultimately that for me is the embodiment of the UCC. It is our covenant with one another that uh, we can disagree about um, the virgin birth or the resurrection or any number of things, but we are here to do the work of God and bring about the kingdom of God as earth on earth as it is in heaven. So how do you, what, how do you see that sort of playing out now that I'm going to, I'm just going to take a breath and I guess maybe let you talk a little bit. <laughs> Um, but we're all being punished because I have my doctor of ministry now. So you're welcome. It's, I gladly accept it. It'll rain down your wisdom on us. I love it. So, um, well, thank you for sharing it with us. I, it's, see, I, you know, it's a lot more meaningful to come through the hard earned study that, uh, that you have than, than just coming up with a random list, uh, you know, scouring the pages of the internet or just whatever I think about it. So, um, thanks for sharing it with us, and uh, thanks for your wisdom along those lines. And so, as you and I talked about wrapping this up, we uh, we both wanted to end with maybe a word of challenge or a word of hope, uh, maybe a word of inspiration to those who are listening, who, like us, see themselves as still on a journey with more to learn uh, and expanding their faith out of this background of a narrow-minded, privatized um, believe now for the sake of heaven later kind of approach to Christianity. So I find that many who have done or, or at least begun the deconstruction um, project have kind of paused there and stopped there almost um, um, in my pastoral work. So, um, and really haven't dug into the reconstruction part where they embrace their identity as a progressive Christian or where they, come to feel comfortable with some of the same things that maybe they witnessed before, like scripture reading or prayer or meditation or other spiritual practices or just living out their faith on a daily basis. So I think when we, when we have a knee-jerk reaction like that to some things, just because we've seen other streams of Christianity misuse or abuse some of these things or do them in ways that are harmful even, um, that we're actually giving ourselves, um, we're, we're giving up. Um, an opportunity and robbing ourselves of some real depth and an opportunity to drink from some refreshingly deep wells of wisdom and, uh, and strength as we grow into who we want to be. So my encouragement is to, uh, to any of you who are listening is to make sure that you, you embrace who you are and who you are becoming at this point in your journey. And as you do, you might feel uh, I want to nudge you back to embrace the scriptures, but 
as you read the scriptures, I, I want to encourage you to do so with an eye towards equality. When you go to the scriptures, like the, like the late great, uh, great Fred Craddock once said, if in reading the Bible you find justification for abusing, humiliating, disgracing, harming, or hurting, especially when it makes you feel better about yourself, you're absolutely wrong. So embrace reading the scripture with an eye towards equality. And you know, not everybody in the Bible gets it right. Some of, the, some of those lessons are there so we can learn what not to do, just like in regular life um, that happens today. And then explore other opportunities, embracing meditation or mindfulness or prayer, um, not in order to manipulate a God who will intervene on command, but rather to find your own quiet center and be renewed and, and, and remember that you and I and all of us are called to be the hands and the feet of God at work in this world to bring about healing and equality and wholeness. And, and then clarify what the big picture is. Um, to so many in the Bible Belt, Christianity is about believing the right stuff now for the sake of heaven later. But if you really, really read the words of Jesus in the Gospels, it's all about the beloved community, the kingdom of God, as we call it, on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, I just want to encourage you all, if you're listening, to, to avoid the ever-present trap as well, as, and Lori mentioned it wisely in her comments, of this sense of elitism and pride that so often accompanies progressive Christianity and thought. And it sounds so trite, but, but you know, people literally don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And so the world, you know, the world has seen enough Christian ideology in action um, that's completely divorced from love. It doesn't, the world doesn't need any more of that from, from either side of the theological spectrum. So as we carry out our justice work and as we advocate for others, on the margins, we can never lose sight of love, fierce love, but tender, compassionate, committed love, and humble, humble love. Now, Christianity, like the United States, is, is very polarized and divided. And with so much division out there and so much hatred, we need the wisdom to know when to speak up and the wisdom to know when to get quiet, or maybe I've heard you can even apologize. That's a thing apparently when you're wrong. <laughs> and sometimes we all are. So in other words, all the best theology in the world is worthless without a loving and humble approach. I said what I said. That you said what you said. I think that will preach. So I feel like we're done here. But I just, I mean, I want to say again, David, thank you for this conversation. I think it's important for people to hear um, the spiritual journey of all folks. Um, and sometimes even the spiritual journey of the pastor who probably comes from a background more like everybody else than you think. Um, and this whole idea that, that the Apostle Paul suggests that we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That is what we are doing. And I think that that's part of what we do every single Sunday, but also what you are encouraging people, what you just got through saying, that 
uh, don't, don't stop at the place where you're just like, I know what I don't believe. Keep working, keep working out that salvation. And, and of course, no, it may not have anything to do with an afterlife, but for this one right here, and you are know that you're not alone on the journey. You're not alone on the journey, whether you're in Weatherford, America, or Norman, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma City. Um, you have people to journey with, so don't know that you're not alone. Amen to that. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we all get to make this journey together. And uh, I deeply thank you for spending the time. I want to say blessings to Mayflower Church and. Uh, and uh, know that I'm pulling for all of you because we're all in this together. Well, we, of course, are rooting for Federated Church in Norman, First Congreg Federated Church in Weatherford, and First Congregational Norman. Those are mouthfuls. Do you have to say that all the time, like back to back? Never back to back. I, gotta pra I have to practice. Anyway, um, thank you, David. Um, thank you to both of your congregations for letting us have this conversation. And we'll see you, we'll see you out doing the work soon. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.